From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration from movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. What if I told you that you could become completely financially free and that you could multiply your time so much that you could actually have more margin in your life and your business? That is what we're going to talk about today. My guest is one of the news anchors for Fox and Friends National Television Morning Show. Uh, His name's Clayton Morris. He's a super smart guy. We're going to talk about money and time. Uh, In the interview, we talk about time first, and then we talk about money uh, after we get to know him a little bit. And then at the end of this, I... Uh, you're going to hear me have, I think, pretty much a live epiphany for my own life about the connection between time and money. And you'll see how I was able to digest the lessons that I was learning from Clayton and how I at least tied them together in my own life uh, and in our business here at Southwestern Consulting. So I think Uh, You know, I talked to Clayton about a lot of different things, but at the end, we bring it all together, and I think there's a huge, huge breakthrough here waiting for you to happen, Um, truly something that can change your life. So you don't want to miss this episode. We'll get started just after this message. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern Coach, Go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. It is my honor to introduce you to Clayton Morris. If his name sounds familiar to you, you probably will recognize him. He's on national television every single week. He is one of the anchors for Fox and Friends. He's a really interesting guy. He's a real estate investor. Uh, he is Fox, uh, Fox's tech guy. He has a podcast that he talks about kind of breaking limiting beliefs and how to leave legacy and overcoming like some of the barriers that people have about money and financial freedom. And uh, just an incredible student. And he has a real knack for productivity and kind of organizing your life and, and using technology to sort of uh, reverse engineer to get what you want. And I just, I love the guy. Like me, he's, he's a student first. And we just really hit it off, and and I think you're going to love talking to him. So, Clayton, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's great to it's great to catch up with you again, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I didn't really get a chance to ask you this, uh, but like, I'm always just fascinated. First, first, first of all, with how do how does one become a, a news anchor for a national like television, a major you know television morning show? Um, you go into a lot of debt. and you've got to live all across the country in really small markets. So I've, I've lived all over the country. Uh, and you know, it's, it it really is amazing. I mean, my first job out of college was, uh, I was a 
I was a production assistant at Good Day LA in Los Angeles. I just kind of packed up my U-Haul truck and threw caution to the wind and moved out to Los Angeles. And when everyone thought I was crazy, you're going to move across the country. And I hooked up my 1989 Ford Escort to the back of a U-Haul truck and moved it and just did it, you know, and and when I got there, people were like, you know, you really, to get on the air and to do what you're passionate about, you, you, you can't, you're not going to start in Los Angeles. You need to go to small markets and cut your teeth. So I moved up to Montana, was a political reporter for CBS News covering the governor. Then uh, all over the country, West Virginia, Virginia, um, you know, Ohio, then Florida, then Philadelphia, you just work your way up and then up to the, you know, then up to the network. And you look back at local news and you think, my God, how did I survive that? And I mean, I was went deeply into debt, you know, and I was renting a place in Montana for like 500 a month. And I think I was making 475 a month. So every wow. month I was going into debt. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That is so, what a good story though. Cause I think, you know, it's one of those things where people, are, they don't realize how intense that journey is. There's no way. It really is. And when you see, just, you know, have some sympathy when you guys are in small markets, your, your audience, if you're, if you're out there and you, you know, you're in Knoxville or maybe you go to North Dakota or you swing by Montana on a fishing trip and you watch the local news, just have some sympathy for those young reporters who are literally running the whole camera themselves, setting up the tripod, standing in front of it, turning around and looking at the video, seeing how bad it was because they set it all up themselves. It's like doing selfie, like a selfie reporter <laughs> and they have to reporter. edit it themselves. They're doing everything themselves. So uh, just another question kind of related to the news thing. Uh, who, uh, like, who have been some of your favorite people that you've interviewed? Because I know you're a huge reader and you, you know, a learner in that, like, uh, and you have all sorts of interviews that you do and you go to the, you know, the government and the, the political stuff. So like. Right. Who would be on that list? You know, yeah, I, you know, the, the ones that are actually kind of boring to me, I mean, not that they're boring, but I mean, I, the political, I interview senators on a weekly basis and presidential candidates, whether it was, you know, Mitt Romney, John McCain or Hillary Clinton or, um, you know, presidents and things like that. And, I, and I'm very, you know, I have to pinch myself when I do that kind of stuff. I've interviewed Donald Trump about 50 times, you know, um, and especially at probably this weekend, I'll be interviewing him again, you know, but that's not the stuff that gets me excited. You know, I have to say the, the, I, because I'm a productivity junkie and because I'm sort of a, a you know, a real empowerment junkie, I think, uh, meeting Dr. Wayne Dyer for the first time mm. was really just a game changer. He came to our studio in New York and I was interviewing him for his new book, uh, I think Excuses Be Gone. Uh, it was shortly before his death and I I had let him know how, uh, you know, how meaningful his work had been to me over the years, really getting me out of uh, a lot of limiting beliefs in my life and, and uh, you know, just really helped me change and sort of shift my mental, my mental paradigm. And uh, to sit there on the couch and interview him for his new book, I was like a, I was like a schoolboy, you know, I was just super excited. So that was a big one. Uh, and I have to say uh, another huge one for me was, um, was uh, David McCullough. Uh, I was a history major in college. So mm-hmm. the author of John Adams and Truman and the Brooklyn Bridge and, and uh, the Wright brothers. And just to me, one of the great the really one of the great jewels of this country, you know, one of the really, uh, one of the, just really one of the great uh, national treasures of historians in this country. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Well, so your coming into like some of your, some of your personal passions here, um, you mentioned productivity. Um, 
and you review lots of different apps and stuff. I mean, you're like the tech guy. So what are what are some of the what are some of the the most popular apps right now that you that you're using in your business or that some of your clients are using or people that you, you know, like what's, what's really the hot thing right now? Well, I think you're seeing a real shift in, in software design and the developers that I get to interview and talk with and just the, and the apps and, and programs that I use to run, I run my entire real estate investing business on an iPad. Um, with mm. everything, all the employees that I have, um, down to the properties that we're rehabbing and selling to our turnkey clients, you know, who are buying our properties, um, to my field, my team in the field, to my operations manager, all of it managed through my 9.7 inch iPad pro. And wow. yeah, it's ridiculous. And, and you're really seeing a shift in software design towards simplicity and, and, you know, yes, they may be really powerful apps, but they're under the surface powerful. And what's on the surface, and it's a lot of what you, know, you talk about, it's just getting us back to uh, putting more time and space into our lives. And that's what I think some of the really most powerful apps that I use do. You know, they're, they're simple in their focus. Um, so, for instance, uh, you know, for me, uh, I use um, an app called OmniFocus. Um, and I use it every day. I use the getting things done methodology. So how can I then automate some of the steps that I'm routinely doing over and over again? But OmniFocus is a fantastic app for me to get things done. Uh, Really, all the research around the brain shows us that our brain is not meant to, you know, house uh, extraneous tasks. Um, That's why we have a a bowl for our keys when we come home at the end of the day. so is this like a work? This is like a workflow kind of kind of uh, type of like to do list project management sort of kind of a thing. Exactly, task management, project management. So if I've got a list of thirty things in my brain, get them all out, put them in the inbox of OmniFocus, and then go through. And are some of those things two minute tasks that I can accomplish now? Are there are there tasks in there that I can defer to someone else, or are there tasks that have five subtasks where I'm creating? a project. And then I can go through and put those into projects. Now, some of them may fall into the someday maybe folder and I can defer them out to when I have time and space in my life to accomplish them, right? Like perhaps write a book. Well, I have a couple of speeches I'm doing over the next few weeks. Um, I've got uh, a baby on the way in three weeks. Um, another baby, another baby, third, <laughs> third and final baby. Um, so I've got a bunch of things on my plate. Um, I've got, I'm hiring a new salesperson for our team. I've got a couple of other things. So they'll write a book task or project is I can defer using OmniFocus until um, the middle of October when I'll have some more space in my life to, uh, to dive a little bit deeper in that. So OmniFocus is powerful, uh, fantastic Cal, amazing calendaring application, which allows more space and time in your life. Uh, with natural language, I can say, um, uh, uh, lunch next Tuesday, uh, you know, at, uh, and it, be, it knows that lunchtime is noon. So it'll automatically parse that into natural language. It'll put that inside the application. Um, so apps that I, I'm focused on, things that I use to give more space time in my life are the ones that are focused around simplicity uh, and taking things off of my plate where I can automate some of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, that there's definitely that simplicity movement. I, you know, uh, you've been through essentialism, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and um, so I think that's really good. And I mean, even, you know, Google, I think of Google being like the first company that is like this huge organization behind 
one little box, right? <laughs> like right. A, a little, a little landing page that, that uh, changed the world. And, um, so I think that is, that is kind of fascinating. So, um, and you were talking about GTD. So I'm familiar with GTD. I've been through it. Dave and I have spoke together. I've never actually talked about the reconciliation of GTD and pop. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I will do that in, um, in the, in the debrief, but, um, you mentioned you brought up the brain. Okay. And, and I know you're a big, like brain guy. So, um, talk to me a little bit about, like you, you mentioned some of the research about the brain should not be holding things. Um, what, what, I think, you know, there's so much out there. There's so many productivity books out there and there's lots of, it's like there's, there's research and then there's biology. Um, what do you think are some of the key things that we need to really know and understand about our brain in, in order to really be productive and feel organized? Well, certainly, and it comes down to the digital age, right? And this is what I talk about on stage is the idea of the friend of mine who is, uh, whose father was a logger, right? And what I talk about is that, you know, he had a pretty simple day, right? Every day he would get up, he would go and he would see a pile of logs that he, he wasn't cutting down the logs. His job was to fashion them into planks every day. Mm-hmm. And so he would wake up, he would go to the the job site, there'd be a huge pile of logs. He knew that his deliverables for the day were to turn these logs into planks. At the end of the day, he had a pile of planks and given, you know, maybe one variable or something, uh, maybe there's a knot in this particular plank, doesn't make it a, uh, maybe it's a dud. Other than that, that's it. That was his deliverable for the day. And he wasn't being hit with barbs from all over, you know, in email inboxes and all different places. And he would go home at the end of the day. And chances are he probably wasn't thinking much at all about the logs. And the problem is in the digital uh, landscape now, we're, you know, we're, we're you know, as a, as a hunter-gatherer, that's what we naturally are. And, and the brain research shows that, that we still are hunters and gatherers. And we would perceive threats like cavemen and cavewomen. Um, mm-hmm. the, here's a bear. It's coming towards me. React, take care of my family. Uh, but now our perceived threats have shifted in the digital age. And so we can open an email. I'll give you an example. In fact, here's a story. I, I, I opened up my inbox while I was on vacation and I had an email from my co-host, Brian. Now uh, we sit in the same seat. He does the weekend. He does the weekday version of the show. I do the weekend version of the show. Brian does. And this email, it was nothing more than a, Hey, I've just launched my book. I'd like you to come to my launch party. And it was an RSVP email. Well, that should have been simple and basic and nice, right? But instead, my brain made huge leaps. A perceived threat emerged where it became, well, Brian wrote a book. I didn't write a book. I'm not as secure in my career as Brian is. You know, Mm. all, all of a sudden, all of these invented threats began to emerge that just didn't exist. And, you know, I call it digital anxiety, um, and that's why you can watch people's body language when you're at a Starbucks. I want everyone to do this the next time that are Starbucks. And this is something I talk about in a room of like 200 people when I'm speaking, like you'll see how many people I'll ask them, how many of you pull out your phone while you're waiting in line at a Starbucks? You, you don't just stand there and let it kind of soak in and just kind of take in the sights and sounds. No, you have to pull out your phone. I want you to watch people in front of you the next time you're at a Starbucks line and see them pull out their phone and they open their email. There's this imperceptible shoulder slump that they do because you know you're not going to be taking you're, – you're not responding to the emails right now. You don't have the time to do it because you're about to place your coffee order. So why are you adding this at level of anxiety to yourself in a line at Starbucks when you know you're not going to type out an email? Wait till you can carve out that time later 
you know, when you've got that hour at your desk, when you're going to look at it and their bodies slump and there's this like imperceptible, like anxiety that unfolds on people's bodies. And brain research really now does show us this, um, is that we are all, we all have what I like to call our, you know, a power hour. Um, for me, it's, I call it like a power two hours. So for me from like 10 AM to about noon, uh, is when I really get my best work done. And I, what I really try to do is shut out everything and focus. And I, you know, get up for a few minutes in between those two hours and take a quick break. But the big project in my projects folder that I want to focus on, the big high level stuff for my company and for my life, that's where I spend that time. And then I'll return emails later in the day in my non power hour. Now, some people, it could be seven o'clock at night. Some people like Grant Cardone, it could be all day. You know, you could just be like crazy all day and you've got, you know what, you've got eight hours of power hour. Like you're just inexhaustible and you can get so much done. That's kind of how you operate for, but for most people, we really only have one hour of true, true focus and productivity where our brains just start slipping into mundane ideas and tasks and we lose focus. So really try to maximize your time. If your power hour is 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., why the heck are you wasting it on email? That you should use like the least amount of brain. <laughs> you know, spend that in the afternoon over a cup of coffee when you're just kind of kicking back. Well, I love I love the phrase "invented threats" um, and and digital anxiety. Like those those are really powerful because it's every email spurs. You know, like to go back to your logger deal, right? It's like when you're a logger, you're just I'm pumping logs through here and I got my pile and the pile is done. It's like I go home. But here we have all these new inputs and then your mind wanders like creatively um, and it can go very much uh, uh, in the the wrong direction. Right. Uh, I think that's really, that's a lot to deal with and to be aware of. It, it is. And, you know, if happiness, as Deepak Chopra says, you know, if happiness is the pursuit of meaningful goals, most of us aren't pursuing meaningful goals in the digital age. And that's the problem. And that's why your research is so powerful, right? Because it's, it's allowing more space in our life to get back to meaningful, meaningful goals. Uh, spending, whether it's time, you know, with our children more, uh, creating more space in our life, or maybe it is writing that great American novel, whatever it happens to be. But honestly, digital anxiety comes from not knowing where we're going and what we're doing. And so most people, actually Harvard has been doing some research on this fantastic, you know, with, with their students and they're having their students journal every day about what they want to accomplish. What meaningful goals do they have? And what's amazing about that is that most of them aren't achieving their, like on their daily basis, most of them are just doing their deliverables. They're completing this tax, they're responding to this email, but they're not in no way pursuing their meaningful goals when they look at the end of their their journal for the day. And this is really troubling to me. I think it's really a marshalling of time, energy, and resources. And I think in the digital age, it's knowing really how to control the inputs and outputs. You know, what's coming at us? I like to think of it like, um, you know, Game of Thrones, like archers shooting arrows at people, right? These arrows are just flying at us all day, and we've got our shields up. It really is in these inputs that are being slung at us. How do we protect ourselves from those and how do we carve out appropriate time to respond? Yeah, I think as you're just talking, I was thinking it's almost like we 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 live in this like crisis of context where all we do is we we respond to a bunch of tasks. 
we, we respond to a bunch of emails, but there's no context of how each of those things is driving us. You know, you could call it vision, you could call it goals, but just the idea of like, we're, we're not moving in a specific direction. We're just, we're just responding, being bounced around more like a, it's like we're more like a pinball than we are like, you know, an arrow moving in a, a defined direction. Right. We get We have so many alerts on our phones, on our watches. And, you know, if we sit down to accomplish a goal, we still have all of these alerts and distractions turned on. That's why during the power hour, I shut everything else out. The phone gets turned off. I set a little timer on my desktop, a little app I call, it's called Guestimer, G-E-S-T-I-M-E-R. It's a little menu bar app on my Mac, and you can like literally drag it down uh, for however long, 5, 10, 20, 40, 50 minutes, and um, it just sits up in the menu bar, and I'm going to work nonstop, no interruptions for that amount of time on the project that I set out the night before. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things. I suffer, re- you know, it's a really hard thing for me, this discipline. And that's why I think the night before, looking at GTD, looking at OmniFocus and saying, this is the project I'm working on tomorrow during my power hour. I've got eight tasks left in this project. And tomorrow, I'm going to try to accomplish three of those tasks. And then I feel so amazing after that hour. And then, yeah, if I get ping-ponged around with other things, you know, emails and texts and that sort of stuff, fine. But I know that during that hour, I've done something special. Yeah, I like having that little countdown timer, Guestimer. It's called Guestimer? Yeah, Guestimer. G-E-S-T. It's like guest timer. <laughs> oh, I see. I gotcha. That makes sense. Um, so um, I have one other question I want to ask you as it relates to the concept of your, of your freedom number, sure. uh, which I think is cool. Um, and it's, it's a little bit more on the real estate, but I think it, it, it fits in here to productivity. But before I do that, so Clayton, uh, obviously people can watch Fox and Friends every, every weekend if they want to see you, but where else can they go to connect with you? Well, I mean, my website, uh, you know, we, we try to put up some great content over at morrisinvest.com. That's my company website. You can uh, reach out to us there. Um, you can read the blog content. And we have a, we, my podcast, Investing in Real Estate, publishes three times a week. So we talk to uh, high-level investors. Uh, my wife and I do an episode once a week together on how we structure our family business um, with uh, the finances and the, pr- the rental properties and all of those things, how we set it up and so really, morrisinvest.com is the best place. You can connect with us, send me an email. I'd, I, I'd love to talk to investors and, and, uh, and business junkies and productivity junkies and anybody. I, 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 love, I love the interaction, so I'm always happy to connect. I know, and I haven't, I haven't met Natalie yet, but I know she's a total gunslinger. She's a major mover and shaker, and, and uh, I think it's cool. You guys, you guys do business together. So on, on the note of, of real estate investing, obviously I think you know, that's a big part of your background. We didn't talk about too much today, but um, there's a, a thing, and everyone that's listening, they know that I'm a very big you know, get-out-of-debt-first. That is, that's the, that is the, the big goal, get-out-of-debt-first. Um, but the uh, whenever you know different people have different risk tolerances as it relates to money but but whatever it is you have this concept called the freedom number mm-hmm. which is a very simple way um to sort of calculate what financial freedom means and you talk about it in real estate although i think it's it's a very universal pr- principle as well um, can you just touch on that briefly um, a little bit? Sure. And, and so if you're driving right now, you're listening, and you, you're worried about some of the numbers or things I'll throw at you, you know, don't worry. I've got a free, it's like a three, 
three-page PDF, totally free, and you can I want you can sit down with your husband, your or your spouse, your wife over a glass of wine and go through it together. But this is literally the thing that changed my life, the freedom number. So if you just go to morrisinvest.com slash freedom, it's there. You can download it for free. But it, it, sat, it happened one night when my wife and I, we were sort of frustrated. You know, there, was, there, was a, there was too much month left after the paycheck, quite honestly. And because I grew up around this fear of money, you know, fear of lack, money doesn't grow on trees, we're not the Rockefellers. And that's why I want the audience to be very aware of how you speak to your children about money. Um, Coming from a place of abundance is honestly the best way to talk to your kids. That if you realize money is not something you can hold on to, it's something that flows through you. Um, Where, you know, my wife and I, we donate money all the time. This this comes in, we're like, yeah, let's, this this child needs help, whatever. Because it's not something for me to hold on to. But that is new for me. <laughs> Before, it was, I've got a hoard, I've got to hold on, I, I, I'm never going to, I can't afford that, money doesn't grow on trees, I'm not worthy of money, all of those things. And so that, this freedom number is really born out of that idea. And one night we were sitting there in my home office, and I just was frustrated, and she was frustrated, and I said, well, where's the money going? What, what are we doing wrong? And mm-hmm. I, I said, wait a second. You know, the money that I make in broadcasting, I, I said, what if I could, what if I could supplement that? What if I could take my monthly expenses, add them up, and that's really what the freedom number is. It teaches you, you know, how to go through your monthly expenses, add everything up, figure out the number of rental properties that it would take in, for you to achieve financial freedom. And say that, so, so can you say that, that the last sentence again, take my monthly expenses and do what? Right. So add up your monthly expenses and I walk you through it in the cheat sheet for the past, for an average of six months, right? We throw out the holidays because that's always a weird variable, right? Take six months of your monthly expenses and then I want you to pad it by 10% a month. So for entertainment, maybe traveling, pad it a little bit. What is that number? For most people, it's going to be, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, $12,000, maybe 6,000, whatever it happens to be. And then we take the amount of monthly rent that we would need from a rental property. Most of my rental properties are like $40,000, $45,000. They're three bedroom, one bath or whatever. They rent for 700 bucks a month, 700, 750 a month. How many of those would it take then to cover those monthly expenses? Most people think this is the thing that drives me nuts. Most people say, I want to ask them, what do you want? They'll say, oh, I want to, I want to be a millionaire. Why? Why do you want to be a millionaire? What, 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 this is a random number. Well, because it'll I'll have financial freedom. I'm like, well, no, you won't. If you add up your monthly expenses, everything it takes for you to run your life and your kids and schooling and everything else, groceries, gas, everything, your car payment, mortgage, all of that, and then just pad it by 10%. That's the number that you need to achieve financial freedom. So that was really the earth-shattering moment for me. And I just laid it out in this paper, and it totally changed my life. It gave me singular focus on what to achieve for my family. And, of course, this number is a moving variable, right, because as you add another child, like we're about to add, maybe that freedom number will expand. But it, it totally changed my life, the idea that you could create passive income every month, cash-flowing assets that would protect you for the rest of your life and hand them down to your kids to create legacy wealth for your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just figuring out what that monthly expense number is and then finding a way to create passive income that covers that. It's like you don't have to have private jets and you don't have to have, you know, 10,000 square foot houses 
but right. if your exp- the basic expenses are covered for your family, then that is what financial freedom feels like. Right. And for a lot of my, a lot of my uh, listeners, a lot of my investors, they love their jobs, right? They love corporate America. They love working for their boss. Maybe they own a company, but they build this on the side. Right, they start acquiring rental properties in order to build up that safety net, so to speak. And they still, you know, I've got doctors and lawyers that buy properties through us, and it doesn't matter. They still love their job, and they're going to continue to work. Um, they're going to continue to do that every day because they're passionate about it. But it's the, it's that other safety net that they're creating, that legacy wealth that they're building up net assets for the rest of their life. Very, very cool. Well, Clayton Morris, my friends, uh, a little bit of banter about all things going on in his world, which is a very, very interesting. If you follow him on social, you'll see it's like, you know, one day he's sitting down with Deepak Chopra, the next day Donald Trump, the next day, uh, you know, who knows what. And, and uh, he's got a lot, to, a lot to share, so you can check him out. And uh, Clayton, just appreciate you being a light in the world and, and helping people break through their limiting beliefs. So thank you for what you do. Well, much love to you as well, man. And uh, likewise, what, a, what an amazing soul you are to this, to this universe. And it's, it's just great to connect with you. And thanks so much for having me on the show. How fun. How fun to get to interview somebody who normally interviews people on national TV for a living. And, you know, I have to say, honestly, you know, Clayton is one of those guys that he reads so much. He knows so much. I mean, literally, he, you know, gets to interview Donald Trump and and Deepak Chopra and people like that. And he's around some of the some of the, you know, just call it most influential people in the world. And so he gets exposed to a lot. And so he knows a lot and has a lot to share. And Honestly, you know, for me, as I was, the interview was going along and I went back and listened to it, I was, I was kind of like, wow, we, we hit a lot of different places. And, but I was looking for the theme, right? Like what was the, what was sort of the core message or how did everything tie together? And it took me a while, actually longer than usual, um, because we hit on so many things and yet, and maybe you are having the same experience listening, but I think that he really helped me clarify one of the most powerful concepts uh, in, that I've ever that I've ever thought about and it's this dynamic that I've been playing with and 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 noticing in the world about the connection between time and systems and automation and money more specifically the connection between time and money. People say time is money. Well, time is not money. Time is worth way more than money. But the, the, and so here, the reason, here's the connection. The, the, I think the strongest plan out there for getting out of debt is Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover or Financial Peace University is actually what the the program is called, right? And it has radically changed my life. For me personally, I started to notice this this connection, this correlation between time and money. And now what I am realizing as, as Clayton was talking, you know, this freedom number, that is sort of like almost like the finish line. That's sort of like the point that you want to get to where he's talking about, okay, the, the point, the moment that you become financially free is when you have enough investment income, basically. It doesn't have to be from real estate. The real estate is his thing, and that's what he does, and he knows, and I think that's that's fine. That's great. Like, uh, But it doesn't really matter so much what the investment is. It, it could be it could be equity from your business. Like, it could be profits. It could be it could be a, a payoff off of a team that you have built, but, but some other 
income stream um, that comes in that's outside of sort of your personal production. When, when that number, okay, equals whatever the number is of your monthly expenses, which if you don't have a mortgage is much lower than the number that he was talking about, right? He said seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven thousand dollars a month. That is a lot of money. Most people that I know do not need that much money to live off of, especially if you don't have a mortgage. It's more like two thousand dollars a month, maybe three thousand. Um, but as he was talking about freedom, right? That's the what he calls the freedom number, which I agree with. It's that moment that you have this investment income that covers your monthly expenses because that's kind of like the point at which you wouldn't have to work in order to survive. Now you still want to work because you want to be working, doing something you care about and you love with people uh, that matter to you and building a legacy and, and, and those kinds of things. And also to have extra money, right. To actually do enjoyment things. But the point that your expenses are covered from your investment income, whatever those investments are, right. It could just be interest coming off of whatever. You could loan people money and they could be paying you interest. And, and when that amount covers your bills, that is sort of the, the freedom point. Well, the, the dot that finally connected in my head, because, you know, he's talking about, um, you know, basically going out and, and getting rental properties. Well, in my world, right, which is somebody who grew up really raised by Dave Ramsey is um, philosophies on money was that you you don't buy real estate with mortgages. You buy real estate with cash. And so what you do is you save up money, which is easy to save money when you don't have debt because you don't have anything to spend the money on. So it piles and piles. And then, you know, my philosophy is paid for real estate, which is something that I directly took from Dave Ramsey, right? It's not to have mortgages, it's to have paid for real estate. Um, and so there's this point when you get debt free and then you start saving money and then you take... Uh, once you have no debt, then you have money to use to, to give and to invest, basically, to build wealth and give, as Dave Ramsey talks about it in his sixth step. Um, and that is the point that you would save and you buy real estate property. And then now you have these rental streams that will be coming in to help you cover your expenses. Well, what I realized is that same point, that same freedom level is achievable with your time. It's achievable with your time. And I think that the whole sort of um, strategy, uh, very similar to the debt snowball plan and Dave, Dave Ramsey's six baby steps, and, and uh, which I just I cannot recommend enough. I mean, it is, it is a life changer, game changing thing to go through um, Financial Peace University and, and to read Total Money Makeover and, and all, all of that. But the thing that is connecting in my mind now is that same approach to money is the same approach you can use to your time or to your company's time. And this is a light bulb that is going off for me again. What I am realizing today with you, I think in part to a variety of different influences, is that most of us think of bankruptcy as it relates to our money. Well, I think today there is as much a problem of time bankruptcy as anything else. That people are so hopeless and stressed and anxious and and they're so far behind in their emails and their to-do lists and there's there's companies that have so many projects in their queue and 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 we feel like no matter how hard we work we're not getting anywhere it's the exact same feeling and i can speak from personal experience it's the exact same feeling you have when you're in financial debt but we live in a world of time debt so that is a, f a, f a first part of the epiphany here 
is that it's very similar, the feelings of despair and feeling like you're, you're working and you're doing what you can, but you're not making any progress. Well, if that's true, then what is also true and seems to be very true, actually, is that we can apply a lot of these same principles to get out of time debt the same way we do out of financial debt. And so here's these five principles that are, you know, I'm sort of assimilating and compiling from a variety of different sources. But these are the five steps to getting out of debt, both with your money, but also with your time. And there is this connection between time and money that is so close and so correlated that I think this I think this is a is a game changer. This is a big a big idea. So the first step is to pause, right? Like that's the first strategy is pause. In other words, you stop digging. So financially, the the number one thing you got to do to get out of debt is you stop getting in debt, right? That's why you cut up the credit cards and you stop buying things on credit. Like that is step 1. You stop digging a hole. Well, if if you are running a company and everybody's going frantic and you never feel like you're caught up, I think it's the same thing we have to do or in your personal life. Step one is to pause. In other words, stop taking on new projects. Stop making new commitments. Stop adding more stuff to your calendar. Like that is the first step is to stop. Stop digging. So with your time, you have to you have to stop you have to say no you have to cut off and 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 let the queue be what the queue is because you have to catch up with the queue before you can take on anything else but if you keep adding to the queue then you're never making progress it just keeps growing and growing and growing and you become more and more hopeless and despair piles in so that's step 1 of getting out of time bankruptcy or time debt just like financial debt is to stop digging in other words to pause Step two is to document. Step two is to document. So when you talk about money, this is the budget, right? And, and, and not just the budget, but the debt ledger. So what you do is you create a list of all of your debts and how much do you owe? What is the total balance on every one? And then it's, it's two parts. Like Dave Ramsey usually talks about the budget, but the debt ledger is just as important, is to, is to create a, basically a list of your backlog. It is all of the debts that you have. Well, that is, um, you know, you create a debt ledger, what I call a debt ledger, but then you create a budget, which is, okay, on a go-forward basis, here is everything it costs to, to live off of. And, and um, that is part of the documentation strategy. Well, the same thing I think applies to our time. If you have a company, again, you're backed up, you have to write down every single project that is in the queue. You have to document it. You have to see, until you can see how far behind you are, you don't ever have a chance to catch up. And until you clear the queue, you can never really make progress and get ahead. So you have to really get your mind wrapped around what is the queue, like what is the backlog? And you have to document, whether that's on a spreadsheet or in a project management software. It, it doesn't matter. It's just like creating a budget. You don't have to have advanced. You can use financial software, but you can use a stupid pen and paper, or you can use an Excel spreadsheet, but you have to document. Step three, then, is you have to eliminate. So now you have everything documented. The, the, the most immediate opportunity to gain traction is to cut right? Like when you're getting out of debt, it's to cut your expenses, like cut cable and, and, and sell one of the cars maybe, or, um, 
you can do things like um, you stop going out to eat. It's insane. Most of us spend, you know, only a few hundred dollars a month at the grocery store, but we'll spend a thousand dollars a month going out to eat. And so you can cut that, right? Because you look at the once you document, you can see everything. Now you can now you can create a strategy. Well, the same thing with our time. Once we see every project that is listed, everything that's going on in our life or in our company, right? Like at a global view of a company, if you look at every project, you're going to see there's so much project creep. There's so many things that our people are working on or that you're working on. We're pulled in all these different directions. And so now you can have a global view and you can start cutting and that's really huge. So you can eliminate. Then step four, which is really where the magic starts to happen, is focus, right? So you pause, you document, you eliminate, and then you focus. Well, the debt snowball is really simple. It's you pay the minimum amount of the minimum monthly payments on all of your debt, and then you throw 100% of the excess in your budget at the lowest um, total balance of debt, right? So you, you figure out, what do you got to pay on all your expenses, including your minimum monthly payments of, of all of your debt bills, like, you, you know, your credit card bills and your car payment. And then the difference between that amount and what you make every month, that is like your disposable income. Well, to get out of debt, you take 100% of your disposable income and you throw it at your smallest um, overall debt, the, the debt with the smallest total balance. Well, with your time, you can do the same thing. You expend the minimum amount of resources, the minimum amount of time necessary to basically keep all of the critical components afloat, and then you dedicate 100% of your excess time towards whatever the next thing is. So in in, in financials, you're, you're paying off the sort of the lowest total debt. Well, with your time, it would be spending 100% of that excess building the next key system or recruiting the next key person or training the next key person or the next key team. So you're expending the minimum amount of energy to maintain everything, okay, critical, but then 100% of your excess time and energy, you imbalance in the direction of the next most significant priority. So uh, that might be building a CRM. Like when I think of Southwestern Consulting, man, we have some, we have some, we have so many exciting projects going on, and we're multiplying, we're growing so fast because we're starting to do these things, and we, and and we're finally getting uh, like our legs underneath us, and we're implementing these strategies, and they're starting to catch, and and it's starting to work, right? And everyone's, it's like we're all feeling the momentum, and things are starting to happen. Well, for us, it was a CRM. Like that was a huge, that was one of the things, right? Was a CRM and also in our case, recruiting, recruiting and, and building leaders. And, and, uh, that's been a huge part for our business. But, um, now we have other systems that we're building and on all sorts of checklists operationally that we are building because, you know, no business can outgrow the strength of its systems. Well, entrepreneurs and leaders always say, I don't, I, I would love to create a better system, but I don't have time. Well, the reason you don't have time is because it's getting sucked up. Just like people say, I can't get out of debt because I don't have any money because they don't, they're not, they don't have a strategy and they don't know how much is in the backlog in the queue. But if you pause, document, eliminate, then you can focus. 
And you can create a strategy and you figure out, okay, what is the next most significant project? What is the next domino that needs to be knocked over? And then you dedicate 100% of any excess available time in that direction to conquer that next thing that is going to multiply your time. So it could be recruiting a key person. Uh, it could be training somebody on your team or training a group of people. It could be building a system. It can be one big project. Um, it might be eliminating one customer. Like who knows what it is. But once you look at the list, I think it will become obvious to you. And and so it's the same exact strategy. The way wealthy people think about money is exactly the same way that multipliers think about time. Then you get to stage five, which is the exciting part. Stage five is you invest. So you pause, document, eliminate, focus, and then you invest. Um, the investment part is once you get caught up, like once you get debt free, then you have all of these excess resources to invest. So financially, um, the way that looks, right, is kind of what Clayton was talking about is that, okay, so now your mortgage is paid off, and but you're still working, and now you're making all this extra money. So what do you do with that extra money? Well, you use it to buy, you make investments. You, for example, you buy real estate. And in my case, right, I'm very conservative. I would say paid for real estate. Um, because the reason I'm into paid for real estate, right, is just because you don't want to get to where you have eight mortgages going and then 2007 or 2008 hits and then nobody can make their rent and now you're carrying all those. Like that's where you go bankrupt and all of your hard work gets erased. So, you know, paid for, when you have paid for real estate, you don't have to worry about that risk. Um, you know, you can still have hard times, but not nearly like that. So now you're investing and so you're buying a property and then you're creating cash flow that you're using to pay your expenses. Well, the same thing happens with our time. Like once we have built all the critical systems to support the business and once we have gotten the most critical people in place, then what happens is you start the, the systems and the people. Now those systems in place start to take over the regular workflow, just like your investment income starts paying for the regular monthly expenses, your systems and your team that you have built start to take over the, um, the regular workflow. And that is a game changing moment for everybody because once that happens, then that frees up your creativity to you're not in that like critical survival mode, right? It's not like you're you're you know when you're being if it, when you're being chased by a bear, you can't stop to tie your shoes if your shoe comes untied. But at that point, it's like you get far enough ahead of the bear that you can stop and tie your shoes, and you can build new shoes so that you can run faster. And that is the point of just like when you become financially free, I think that is the point where you get your time back and, and you cross this line where now you're able to be more creative and more strategic about how you use your time and it's not this frantic, chaotic, chaotic like fire that you're always running around putting out fires. Um, so first, pause, right? Stop taking on new projects. Second, document, list every project in the queue. Third, eliminate, really go through and scrutinize every item on the list. Four, focus, work a harvest season, you know, pay the minimum amount of balance or the minimum monthly payments on your time of the, the tasks that you've already committed to or that are critical functions, and then dedicate 100% of your focus in one direction to accomplish the next most significant thing. 
And then once you start crossing off those huge projects, now you have time to invest and do the more creative things to grow your business or to spend time doing whatever it is that you really want to do. The That, I think, is the connection, the same connection between time and money. And the same strategy that you would use to get out of financial debt is the same way that you can get yourself and your team and your company out of time debt. And that is what multipliers do. And you, the, the way that wealthy people think about money is exactly the same way that multipliers think about time. Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log in to whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that really helps us out. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.